KBLA Talk 1580. I hope you know that voice by now. That's Miles Lowe, Miles Lowe Music, the real Miles Lowe. And that is the new one. Get it wherever you get your music. Find him on IG. While you're finding us, KBLA 1580, while you're finding me, DePrima Radio, support a brother. And uh, the music is all good. So thank you, Miles. It is a Mornings with the Mayor day around here. So we'll be hearing from Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass in the third hour of the show. Looking forward to the conversation right now. Joining us for a Talking Point Tuesday partner in politics role, a professor. He's from Long Island. He's the author of a book, um, Black Nationalism in the United States from Malcolm X to Barack Obama. He is former president of the National Conference of Black Political Scientists. Dr. James Lance Taylor, welcome. Thank you for having me back, Dominique. Yeah, thanks for coming back. It seems like so much is going on. The news cycle feels like it's getting faster, 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 and faster. And many of us are rightly fixated on what's going on between Palestine and uh, Israel or Hamas and Israel, the whole region. But I feel like we're missing out on paying attention to some things that are happening here at home. And so I want to focus on some of those as well. Um, This morning, reading about a man named C.J. Rice, who was convicted for shooting someone and has been in jail for 11 years. Apparently, CNN Jake's Tapper's dad was his pediatrician and has insisted all along that there's no way this black man could have killed these folks and run away because, well, actually they didn't die, shot them and run away because he had been shot himself not long before and had a huge incision going down his entire uh, midriff and has been campaigning for this guy to get competent counsel, somehow get out. Um, Jake Tapper wrote an article about it and then a habeas corpus petition was filed and now um, his case, his conviction has been overturned. So that means either this black man will be completely uh, released and free or he'll be retried. Of course, this is in Philadelphia, so all bets are off when it comes to what will actually happen. But apparently the attorney general office there did find that he did not receive competent counsel. It just makes me wonder, Dr. Taylor, not wonder, but it makes me contemplate on how many black people, especially black men, remain in our carceral system with these ridiculous kinds of unjust convictions and lack of adequate representation. Absolutely. Uh, And tragically, I think the work of the Innocence Project uh, has revealed that this is far more common uh, than than anybody wants to admit, uh, that there are routine failures of the system um, from, you know, disproportionate minority contact with law enforcement to every stage of the criminal justice process, including how long you sit and do time or whether you do time. Um, 
a black person and a white person can commit the exact same crime. And under the system that we live in, somehow whiteness ends up, uh, you know, getting a little bit more leniency um, than, than, you know, the, the Latino or the African-American, uh, you know, uh, parallel. Um, and I think you can see this in, in what happened on January 6th, right? Everybody yeah. on the planet knows if that was five to 10,000 black people, or I went to the Million Man March, let's say Farrakhan turned the Million Man March on because we were there at the Capitol. And if Farrakhan had given the word to tear it down, do you think that with the military wouldn't have come down and we wouldn't have had a serious national crisis of violence where the army and National Guard comes out and, and comes down? Those white folk got, uh, were allowed to do what they did on January 6th because it was a white group, right? But if it was Latinos or Muslims or blacks, um, of course, we know it, it would have been not tolerated. And that is at the root of, um, you know, what is fundamentally wrong with this system. The American uh, system of jurisprudence is deeply racist. And everybody, there's not a soul who doesn't agree that America's system, the, the legal system, in effect, it has a racist effect. Whether or not it's intentional is not the question. And the Supreme Court doesn't even ask that question. They look at not criminal intent. I mean, they look at criminal, um, you know, the court's looking at, you know, what, whether or not, um, you know, not the effect. You know, it could be a discriminatory effect on black people, like the death penalty or the Baldus study, B-A-L-D-U-S, the Bowser study, which was a part of the McCleskey versus Kemp case, a death penalty case in Georgia in 1987, the Supreme Court looked at the statistical, um, you know, uh, problems uh, and significance of being black and, you know, victimizing a white person in terms of the death penalty. And the Supreme Court saw the statistical aberrations and criticized the methodology of the social scientists in the research. The Supreme Court did this, mm. but did not deal with the discriminatory effect. So the Supreme Court says this, it doesn't matter how it affects you if you're black. All that matters is whoever did it to you wasn't trying to do it to you. That's right, so the they're Supreme looking Court at says. intent rather than the impact, which is ridiculous. That, right, exactly. And so they're saying now a woman at a work site, she almost has to get a, a let's say, a, 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 a sexual harassing man at the work site to admit that he's sexually harassing her in order for her to get any kind of standing. And that's what we are, that we have to get the, we got to get the racist to admit that they're racist before the court will accept that they're racist. So a racist cop has to say he's a racist before the Supreme Court uh, or, or, or higher courts will, will recognize this, this, this disparity. So, and this all starts in the seventies. One of the biggest mistakes I think um, at least analytically or historically, and I'm not a historian, but the idea that slavery has been perpetual, I understand the analogy, but you can't have that Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman are victorious people in our history and also say slavery was around 100 years later in mass incarceration. Most people don't know this, but you can look this up online. No group was mass incarcerated, not blacks, not whites, not Italians. Not Latinos, no group was mass incarcerated before 1970. I've been showing my students all for the last few weeks the Black Power Movement, the FBI's war on the Black Panthers, uh, Fred Hampton, Huey Newton, uh, George Jackson, Jonathan Jackson. You, you all know the story. Your dad, Amiri Baraka, right here in San Francisco at the time. Um, you know, when the government came down on them, 
it, it was shaken. It, the, the American system was, was shook by the black power uh, up, uprising. And it never really got its confidence back, just like it lost confidence when it lost the war in Vietnam. It, it, you know, it didn't even have confidence to fight the Gulf War one with George Bush. They were scared to fight that war because of the Vietnam issue. And I'm saying, similarly, America has never gotten over the black power uprising. And, and it has created a, a responsive system of punishment ever since. We had 400,000 people in all of America's prisons before 1970. After well, 1970, we, we ratched up towards 7 million. From 400,000 going backwards in history before 70 to after 1970, now we're at 7 million. So in 50 years, we've, we've multiplied the number of Americans in prison. And be clear, it's white people who are mostly in prison. And they, they tragically think it's only happening to us. But every it's day, white people there are more white people in By jail sheer numbers, by percentage, it's us. Per capita, right? And, and I'm yeah. clear on that. But I want them to understand, even though we're talking about disproportionality when it comes to black folk, when it comes to raw numbers, this system is destroying them too. They have the, the, the shortest life expectancy of white people anywhere on the planet. So it's like the story with Joseph and the, the Technicolor Dreamcoat where, in the Bible where it says, you know, when you, they threw you into slavery and Joseph said, you meant, you meant it for my bad, but God meant it for my good. And I'm saying that to say that this system that they have created to keep non-white people down in a colonial situation is now killing them. Black people aren't having deaths of despair. Black people are not the ones um, ODing on fentanyl. Black people aren't a part of the opioid crisis, so at least we weren't originally. But the, the, the immigration of the middle-class white is why we see homelessness and why we see fentanyl. Listen, Ronald Reagan took 55 trillion dollars from middle-class America. And that's why we are in the malaise we're in right now. And that's why Trump is relevant, running around, using Ronald Reagan's words, make America great again. And, 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 that, and, and so we're kind of dealing with, you know, this, this backlash, um, both in the prison system and in the larger, you know, politi uh, political system when it comes to politics. So many important things that you pointed out there, Dr. Taylor. How do you even reverse that? I mean, if you go from no mass incarceration or relatively less to, you know, now this huge prison industrial complex, how do you unwind that? I think that's one of the few things that the Republicans and the Democrats both agree on right now. Yeah. The Republicans, because it's expensive. You know, the conservatives, the, uh, the economic conservatives realize the costs of incarceration are not sustainable. And then you have the liberals who are doing liberal you know, reforms all over the place. So there is some bipartisan uh, potential around criminal justice reform. And we have to keep in mind, after 2008, um, after 2008 when the economy crashed, um, Jerry Brown realigned the entire California prison system to redistribute authority and power from Sacramento down to the county and, and city and, and jail levels. So we have, you know, more power being, uh, you know, carried out at the local levels. And that gives um, uh, wardens and uh, parole boards and, you know, pr parole officers and, pr and probation officers an opportunity to do experimental things. That's why they're mad at, um, the, the sister out here in Alameda County, um, Pamela Price, 
they're, they're, under, they're trying to recall her right now because she's trying to do some different things, not, not, not lock them up and throw away the key, but she's trying to figure out diversion programs. And so how do you reverse it? Um, I, think, I think you have to look, for example, at European examples. Uh, you know, the Scandinavian models. And that's what Gavin Newsom is doing right now. Gavin Newsom is trying to find a way to use San Quentin as a, as a model or a, a case to show prison reform and the redirection or the repurposing of punishment um, to focus more on re, 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 uh, rehabilitation again, right? Because California, from 1977 till about 20, I want to say about 2014 or so, took the word rehabilitation out of its name. And then around 2014 or so, it put the word rehabilita rehabilitation back in its, its, its official name, California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. So with that said, and with all of the problems that the system has had with it being too big, um, breaking it up, localizing it, I think it gives local people more opportunity to, um, to work on reform efforts. I don't think we can eradicate it completely, but I think the defund the police um, moment got everybody's attention and helped them understand that you cannot defund the, the community and expect uh, a healthy relationship with law enforcement when you're over, you know, giving billions and billions to LAPD and billions to SFPD and, bill and millions to OPD. Um, and at the same time, you're giving nothing to the community to develop it in a sustainable way. So I argue this. In the next 50 years, the U.S. Census says, and again, this goes back to the white group dying out because they're dying out and it's not stopping. Look at the data. But the black, the black group in America is having a baby boom. The Asian group in America is having a baby boom. The Latino group in America is having a baby boom. Black Americans are going from 45 million to 65 million in the next 20 years. 20 years, and then 75 million by the year 2065, I believe it is, 2070. So Black America is going to be 75 million people. And I just don't think um, that, that Black people, 75 million Black people, and, and racist law and racist policing can continue to coexist. Talking with Dr. James Lance Taylor, and we'll continue the conversation. You're invited in, 800-920-1580. We are KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. The conversation continues right now, right now, right now with now, Dominique DePrima on First Things First. First. And we are talking with author, political scientist, and professor, Dr. James Lance Taylor. I started out talking about C.J. Rice. Another black man set to be released, hopefully, after serving 12 years in prison for a crime it appears he could not have committed. On Monday, Judge Nitza Quinones Alejandro, ironically a Latine judge, uh, granting that petition and finding that he did not have adequate representation. So now it will be up to the district attorney in eastern Philadelphia whether or not this person will be released from prison. Dr. James Lance Taylor, really compelling sort of overview of what's going on in our prison industrial complex and what the problems with it are. Do you think it's possible? It, it, probably not, but I mean, if I guess anything's possible. If I feel like there should be some kind of comprehensive review and purging of death penalty 
and life sentences for black people who are in our system based on these years and decades of data showing this clear bias. That's right. I'm on the San Francisco Reparations Committee and reparations could be many things. And that would be a powerful example of reparations. But see, when you got a disproportionate number of white men in power, that's the problem of America. There's too many white men in power. And I don't mean that to be racist. I mean it in the sense that there are 66% of police officers are white men, but they're 30% of the national population. So they're twice as represented as cops as they are as Americans. And that's the fundamental problem of racial policing in America. Um, is it possible? Um, the, the, your, your, your point is similar to the Black Panther Party, right? The Black Panther Party, one of its 10-point plans was to release all Black men from, you know, from federal and state and county prisons, right? And, and, and Nas has that song, you know, If I Rule the World. I think it's him and Lauren Hill. Mm-hmm. If I Rule the wall, World, I Free All My Sons, right? I let him go back to, from, Atta, from Attica to Africa, you know? Um, and, and, you know, rep, that would be a form of reparations. But the state is too white and therefore it's too mean and therefore it's too racist and too unforgiving and therefore it won't. And when you see any effort to do any kind of reform, what do you get? Right. Recalls in L.A., recalls in Oakland, recalls in San Francisco. And these are by the liberal whites, not the conservatives. Those weren't conservatives that we call those people. Those were liberal whites here in California, right? So even when you try to fit, and, and the, the most dishonest part of all of this conversation is that 40 years of mass incarceration, which should be the basis of reparations too, um, did the damage that we're now seeing. The, the way we're seeing our young people acting out of control after COVID, I mean, COVID did something to everybody. But what we're seeing uh, in terms of the, you know, the, the, the apparent peak in crime. So much of this is the effects of 40 years of tough on crime. But that apparent peak in crime is only in certain areas. When you look at overall crime, if you look at the data, I know nobody wants to hear it because they don't feel That's safe, right. but the data don't bear that out. Crime is not That's up. Right. And so, right. yes, we see these yeah, spectacular... There's, there's, you know, you know, video right. clips of people running into Gucci right. stores, but that doesn't reflect right. a less safe environment. And you know what's amazing in Ireland right now, if you look in Dublin, Ireland, there's a major uprising going on in Ireland right now. Riots are in the streets of Ireland. Look it up, please, people. In Dublin, Ireland, because they're not showing you all, all over the television, white people are rioting and looting, looting everywhere in Ireland, in Dublin. They're tearing up stores. I watched a, 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 a clip yesterday, about 80 white uh, Irish people walked into a store and walked out, you know. But that image, and even when we're seeing these images here in America, a lot of these are every group. Every group is doing this. But what do they show off disproportionately is, is African-American people. And, and I just reviewed a book by Elijah Anderson, um, and the book is called Black in White Space. Um, uh, he's a Yale University sociologist, and I just reviewed the book uh, yesterday. And he basically talks about the reality that black people are not welcome in America, that, that, that America is a dangerous neighborhood for black people, that, it's a, that we're in a colonial situation, like we're all in a jungle and the colonists are all around with their guns constantly surveilling and policing us. And I think one of the great things from your, your father's time and your father's engagement 
when they were at least trying to think through what the meaning of our colonial relationship was to America. And that's something most Americans aren't prepared to talk about, is that we were a colonized group by a colonized people who colonized another people's land. So it's the most complicated uh, example of colonization is America, but we only use the colonial thesis to look at, you know, Africa and, and you know, and, and the Middle Eastern region. But the reality is that um, Black America is a colonized group. And that's part of our problem is we continue to try to have racial solutions to a colonial condition. And, and, and that's why at least when in the 1960s and 70s, they were talking about the internal colonial thesis. You know, they were trying to understand our position to America. And what they borrowed it from was ink from the Irish and the Irish being internally colonized uh, in, in past history by the British. And the, and the only analogy between black America and, and white America was the relationship between the British and the Irish uh, where the Irish were like us. And, and, uh, you know, and so, I think, again, reparations is not simply just money. There's other ways of doing reparations. Reparations would be the state forgiving people. We have to forgive the state all the time, right? The yeah, state well, kills, we have, to, we have to accept it and forgive it. Just yesterday or, or this week. Okay, hold that um, thought, Dr. Taylor. My- We're about to go into news, traffic, and sports, and there's a lot to unpack when we come forward. I want to talk about what you said about the continuous slavery concept, how that impacts reparations. I want to look a little bit at the riots that you're talking about in Dublin because it's really um, anti-immigrant sort of reaction. It's a little bit like their version of Black Wall Street maybe. Love to get your thoughts on that and more after news, traffic, and sports. And of course, I welcome you to weigh in. KBLA delegation, 800-920-1580, 800-920-1580. This is a place where we're amplifying black and progressive voices around the clock. KBLA Talk 1580. Say the quiet part out loud. KBLA Talk 1580. Find a righteous range, and don't be afraid to say what you see. For KBLA Talk 1580. KBLA Talk 1580. I rule the world. Dr. James Lance Taylor is my guest this hour. Next hour, we'll be talking with Mayor Karen Bass of Los Angeles. Mornings with the Mayor is on deck. And, of course, you're always invited in. 800-920-1580. Professor Taylor is with the University of San Francisco. He's also an author and, uh, as he mentioned, a member of the San Francisco Reparations Commission. Which brings me to one follow-up question I had for you. You talked about this idea of the continuous enslavement of black people. It's sort of covered in the movie 13th when we talk about the fact that uh, slave labor is still technically legal inside of prisons. You disagree because you're talking about mass incarceration coming to prominence after 1970. But right. notably, the California Reparations Task Force and other reparationists are making the argument that the harms of Jim Crow and the continuous enslavement through the prison system, among other things, uh, medical outcome disparities and such are all part of what needs to be included in reparation. It sounds almost like you're making an argument against that. 
Well, not really, because I, I agree uh, with uh, Darity and Mullen, the married couple from Duke. Their book is called From Here to Inequality, uh, From Here to Equality, I believe it is. And they look at reparations in terms of the harms in several stages. They look at slavery, they look at Jim Crow, and they look at the war on drugs. And so I think we should be clear that these are three separate regimes. Even though slavery may be the mother, Jim Crow, the war on drugs, the ghettoization, re urban renewal, re you know, all of that may be the offspring of slavery. But I think we can't have uh, a heroic Fred Douglas, a heroic Sojourner Truth, a, ho a heroic Harriet Tubman, and also say slavery's around in 1965, too, or 1970 or 1980, because uh, so, one of those two things can't be true. Right. Well, we can say, they, you know, because, again, we give them credit for valiant leadership. They, you know, they won. Right. And, and that's why Martin Luther King kept saying we shall overcome. Now, today, after hip hop, people think that that, that saying isn't really revolutionary, like it's old fashioned. But a tape was found of King in the last five years giving a speech outside in public, I think, during the 64 presidential campaign. And Martin Luther King broke it down in detail as to why he was saying we shall overcome. And what he said was, I look at our history and I look at how we beat slavery. I look at how we beat convict leasing. I look at how we beat uh, 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 sharecropping. I look at how we beat peonage. I look at how we beat you know, all of these different systems of Jim Crow segregation, right? And, and that's what gave King the confidence to say we shall overcome. Why? Because we have beat everything they've put in front of us. It, it hasn't always been pretty. There have been terrible, terrible losses over time, um, but we have overcome. Real quickly, uh, it's going back a little bit. But if you look at what happened last week, the United States Army, and I, I've been telling my students about the 24th Infantry in Houston and how the part of the problem with black people and policing in America is part of the problem with black people and the Irish in history. And most people aren't prepared to have that conversation. But if you go back and look in Memphis in 1866, the first riot of police on black people was the Irish police of Memphis in 1866 who attacked black men who were soldiers who had been decommissioned and were in Memphis celebrating the war victory. And then 1917 in Houston, the Irish Police Department of Houston, um, uh, you know, because of all of these pogroms of whites attacking blacks all over America, the black men of Houston came together to defend the black community with guns against the Irish Police Department of Houston. And this is in, on HBO. Uh, it's called the 24th. You can see and of course, this, this is before Irish people were even considered white in this country. So that's exactly and that's notable the in itself. They turned white at our expense. They got to be white because they were called green. They were green. We're they got jumped they into the white gang. Yes, ma'am. And so, well, did, so did Jews. Right. So did Jews. I mean, nobody wants to talk about that. But there, there's scholarship that talks about how Jews became white, how the Irish became white. The N word is how they all became white. And that's what uh, Tony Morrison and Richard Pryor said. You know, when you okay, learn that, well, I mean, that's a whole other American. conversation too. Because are you talking about <laughs> Jewish as a religion, as an ethnicity? Are you talking about as a state? I mean, those all have different nuances We're to it. About the American and the, the you American can't Jew. have Nazi, neo-Nazi, you know, groups targeting Jewish people and say that they have full membership in the White Committee. Uh, yeah, well, that's true. Uh, there's a lot of hatred there internally. But again, you know, the, evangel the Christian evangelicals see the state of Israel as important to their whole, you know, uh, Armageddon and the second coming of Christ, you know, the rapture. So they need for Israel to do certain things 
to fulfill their biblical uh, 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 belief. Um, but real quick, I mean, but again, why can't God do it anyway? That's another conversation for another day. <laughs> I do want to talk right. to you about what's going on in Dublin because we haven't been talking about it on the show, and it's quite disturbing. This is massive riot or uprising or whatever you want to call it by these far right wing um, nativists there in Dublin was supposedly triggered by a stabbing, which has been blamed on an immigrant. Although it's not clear that the person that did the stabbing even was an immigrant. In fact, I read the person was a citizen and that the immigrant Uber driver or whatever intervened to try to help the people who were being attacked. Nevertheless, the right wing, the far right wing, social media, Proud Boys, uh, Irish Trumper types went off and just started tearing up the whole place, um, setting stuff on fire, kind of doing the Black Wall Street, only anti-immigrant as opposed to just anti-Black. Many immigrants in Europe, of course, are from African nations and the Middle East, and they're chanting, get them out. Now the government is saying they are going to amplify the use of artificial intelligence, facial recognition. They're talking about making mass arrests. But these are people who are radicalized by this neo-Nazi far right-wing ideology, tearing up this country. Absolutely. And this has been going on all over the world since the late 70s as well. Um, Like almost when the, uh, actually a little bit later, when when the Berlin Wall uh, you know, comes down when the, you know when the Iron Curtain or the Berlin Wall comes down during the you know the Czech uh, Czechoslovakian or the Czech Republic of uh, 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 uprising, right? Um, that there was all this undercurrent in Berlin and in Russia and all over the world. There were these white men who were in the late 90, in the nineties just waiting to be able to articulate their open racism again because they were doing it everywhere locally, and now we're seeing it you know showing its face. There were riots, I think, in 2006 in Ireland um, as well, in Dublin, but, but they're back. And this, again, has to do with an immigrant that, uh, an alleged immigrant that attacked somebody, like you said, they don't know. But it's definitely certain that an immigrant who was from Brazil um, and had been there for a year trying to make money to bring his wife and two children over to uh, Ireland was the one, was the hero. He apparently took a helmet or a hat and, and, and knocked the man down who was stabbing a woman and two children, all who have survived so far, but has brought up this current. And there's actually a move, they're actually chanting in Dublin, Irish lives matter. Yeah. And, and, and by Irish lives, the they mean white culture. people. They, they make no mistake, that's white lives matter because they're not talking <laughs> about the Brazilian Irish or the that's right. black Irish. And honestly, this is mostly anti-Arab sentiment, although there is definitely an undercurrent of anti-blackness as well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a lot of anti-blackness out of, you know, the black American response to Palestine and Israel. You know, there's been this whole pushback on black America. Take a position and, and make sure it's right. You know, APAC has got $100 million going after black politicians right now. That's what's happening. The Jewish lobby is going after black politicians like Cori Bush and the, and the squad. And, and we're afraid to talk about it openly, but they're at war with us and we're not at war with anybody else. The, the Chinese community is at war with black America in the Harvard case and here in California. Who got rid of affirmative action? Okay, so a couple things 
I think, need clarity. You say a Jewish lobby, but really you're talking about the Israeli lobby because there's plenty of Jewish Americans that are pushing back, calling for ceasefire. And you're talking about the targeting of people like Cori Bush, Ilhan Omar, um, Jamal Bowman, etc. And that is real. And I think that I don't think nobody's talking about it. I think social media has changed the game as far as this whole conversation uh, regarding the role of Israel in American politics. No, I think you make a great point. Um, and I think, you know, but there's this interesting undercurrent. It's almost like black people are being asked to take a position. Uh, Michael Rappaport, the comedian, uh, the, uh, the, I don't know what he is, the actor, uh, he, he may, you know, made some posts recently and said, if this was 20 black people, the whole world would stop and rescue them. And, you know, and then there was a woman, um, a part of the Israeli, uh, you know, government who said the black Americans are the problem. What they were talking about was Kyrie and, yeah, and Kanye who, who spurred this conversation. And like you said, the internet, you know, I'm old enough where, you know, you couldn't say certain things. Well, now with the internet, you, you can't control what everybody says. And so more and more information has gotten out there. And I, and I do, I want to clarify, one of the things I do admire is I've noticed that American Jews, as Jews, however you define it, uh, and, and how they're defining themselves, they are on the front lines of a lot of the activism going on in America in support of the Palestinians. That's something I don't think a lot of people appreciate is that... Um, in, in most cases, in many cases here on campuses around the country, you know, there are a lot of Jewish kids out on these front lines because they don't want this done in the name of their people or in the name of the government that, you know, is supposed to be reflective of their of their people. I have a, a, a rabbi student. I have a former rabbi student who is in Israel. Um, and he and I used to spend hours talking uh, about Israel. And he explained to me that Israel is not a Jewish state. He says Israel is a state of or for Jews. And, and the Zionists, I think, is, really, is what we're really talking about. And I think you're right. We have to be careful with the language because, uh, you know, if you're not careful, you end up, you know, putting people in, the, in a, in a Procrustean bed. But the reality is Zionism apparently is the real issue. I've seen Stokely talk about it. I've seen Malcolm talk about it. I've seen Martin King talk about it. I've seen your father talk about it. So Zionism is, is, is different than, you know, some of the other issues. And most Jews, um, at, at, you know, who are observant, reject Zionism as a radical form, an extreme form. So, Dr. James, again, I, go ahead. No, I, I just think, that, you know, there's, there, you know, when Black America rose up in the civil rights movement, Jews were the one white group that we could rely on for a long time. And Dr. Clarence Jones, who is alive, he was Martin Luther King's attorney, and he was at my university when I was the chair of the department, and I hired Clarence Jones. And Clarence Jones was very concerned that Black America and, and, and the American Jewish community that supported civil rights find a way to to recover their relationship going forward because he felt it was inseparable from whatever is possible for black people because we need allies. We can't do Dr. it as a minority by ourselves. Dr. James Lance Taylor is our guest. When we come forward, I want to address your comment that Chinese are at war with black America. I don't know that I co-sign that. In fact, I'm pretty sure I don't, but I want to get clarity on what you mean in referring to that Harvard case, KBLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. We're not for everybody, but we're for everybody. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. And uh, everybody, 
that means you. <laughs> You're welcome in all the time. On a mornings with Mayor Day, and we'll be hearing from Mayor Karen Bass of Los Angeles in just a few minutes. Right now, though, a compelling conversation with Dr. James Lance Taylor talking about we need allies is where we left off. But in the midst of that conversation, you mentioned Chinese people being at war with Black America because of the anti-affirmative action lawsuit stemming from Harvard University. But I happen to have worked with a group called Asians for Affirmative Action and other similar groups recently here in California around Prop 16, where we tried to bring back affirmative action, overturn Prop 209. So I don't feel like it's fair to say that all Chinese people or all Chinese Americans or even all Asians are at war with Black America because there is a diversity of opinion there, just as there is in any other community on any other issue. Right. right. And I think you have to understand the credibility I bring to the conversations. I've been teaching in San Francisco for 25 years. Um, I am in a city where it's the most Chinese city in America. Um, <laughs> between, between, between Oakland and San Francisco is the largest Chinese community in America. And um, my students are Chinese. Um, most of my students are Chinese at, at the university. Um, Chinese American recently, or Chinese? Chinese American. Chinese American. And, and Chinese nationals as well sometimes. Not as much since the COVID, but, but mostly Chinese Americans. And I have a student who works in one of the uh, um, state assembly members' offices. And she, because she heard me talking about reparations all semester. So she came and told me voluntarily that every day there are 15 different people walking in this office who are Chinese. And they continue to tell, I think it's Tao, at the state assembly level, do not support reparations. And we don't even know it. The student told me. And, and, and I think when you look at the local level in San Francisco, again, they led a school recall of three black, uh, well, two black and one Latino school board members. And London Breed supported that. London Breed supported the Chinese community against the black community in the uh, Laurel High School, Lowell, L-O-W-E-L-L, the Lowell I'm High School I'm familiar with Lowell. Remember, I grew up and, in San Francisco. And, <laughs> and, and the Chinese community led that. And they're doing it again because that those board members were trying to allow uh, you know, a way, a, a backdoor way for uh, black students who are outstanding throughout San Francisco Unified School District to get more access to Lowell. And, and the Asian community, I'll say generically, rose up and said no. And that was, that's what led to the recall. Um, and we forget about the school recall that also inspired, you know, the, the, the um, Boudin recall here. But Jesse it's also Boudin. true that over in, in the Harvey case, this man named Bloom who's coming after black people in every possible way, um, he is credited for misleading people back there in the Harvard case. And so people were suggesting, you know, people didn't realize what was really going on. Okay, we're, we're talking about Harvard and University of North Carolina, and at both schools, blacks were less represented than, um, than the aging population at North Carolina and Harvard. So they were using, and then it came out, as you remember, that it was more legacy affirmative action at Harvard. 85% of the white kids there weren't even qualified to be there. That's what the affirmative action case brought out. But it also brought out that in, Cal in, in, in the East Coast, people said the Chinese community was misled. But they can't say that about California, because I agree with you. Yes, there were agents for affirmative action. And uh, uh, um, Vanita Gupta was the number one lawyer fighting for it 
Uh, she now works in the Biden administration, but she was the face of the pro-affirmative action position in California in 2020, and she's Indian Asian. So we can't right. dis- discount that. Donald Tamaki, who is Japanese, um, a Japanese lawyer who, who helped uh, on the Korematsu case uh, being overturned in the state. Uh, he's the only Asian member of the California Reparations Committee. He and I were right. on a panel but, together last week. But and I, and Japanese-American support for reparations has been massive. And, because of their own history. And what people right. don't know, the Japanese community was in California was also the strongest supporters of Muslims after 9-11 because of their internment history. So the Japanese community up here has been very supportive of reparations on day one. Jewish uh, synagogues and rabbis have been very supportive of reparations. I'm telling you from the committee, the Chinese community is just now coming around because I've been calling it out. I went to an event with Don Tamaki last week. And even though he's Japanese, again, the crowd was mixed. And I said it out loud that the Chinese community needs to come around on reparations. That's the silence in the city. They're silent about it in the city. And and London Breed understands the power of the Chinese community. That's why we had APEC here last week. We had the largest gathering of Chinese leaders in the world in the last 75 years, last week in San Francisco, of Asian leaders. So, again, um, when I say at war, I mean politically. I don't mean, you know, racially. I'm talking about right. politics. But even, but even politically, you know, I take exception to the idea of just painting an entire community, particularly in Asian groups in California where you have some significant pockets of progressive thought and activism going back decades. I mean, you, you mentioned the Black Panther Party, and I think to negate all of that tradition, which does continue, is not serving us. Again, uh, let me just clarify. You know, Yuri Kuchiyama was the last person to breathe in Malcolm X's mouth, right, when he was dying. Grace Lee Boggs was a brilliant intellectual uh, from Detroit with her husband, James Boggs, that inspired the Black Power Movement in the, in the Midwest. And, and Rose Pack, a PAK, was the Chinese woman who came out of the Black Power Movement under Willie Brown uh, and the Black activity here in San Francisco to lead to the Chinese rise in politics. In other words, the Chinese in San Francisco were not politically mobilized until they, until Black folk mobilized. And there was a big thing called the International Hotel where the SFPD went after all of these Filipino immigrants and, you know, um, and kicked them out of the hotel. The Black community rose up there. I'm saying to you that just like, there's two things I want to say. One, the Chinese community in California was first born in L.A., in a place called Negro Valley or Negro Way. Okay, up against the clock here, so we'll have to do a part two, Professor. Your second point? Oh, and, and the second point is that there was a very strong relationship with Yellow Peril and, and you know, Rose Pack was very important. You don't have Ed Lee become mayor without Rose Pack and, the Black, and, and Willie Brown. Mm. And you don't have London Breed without Rose Pack and Willie Brown. Dr. James Lance Taylor, it's always engaging. Look forward to talking with you again. Thank you. Mornings with the mayor next on KBLA Talk 1580.